Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I am Liz Beauvais. And we are here to do a second um, iteration of what we're calling Rare Disease Mythbusters. And just for those of you that are just joining in for the first time, one thing that Taylor and I tend to do is we, we look through the internet, try to see other rare disease patients, see what their stories are like. And we came across this website called The Mighty. And um, back in 2019, one of, their, one of their writers had posted these stories of 25 misconceptions about living with rare diseases. And they're from different people that they had pulled um, to write the article. And Taylor and I thought it would be kind of fun to, to go through each of these and just kind of talk through our thoughts on them. I think some of them we really agree with. Some of them might not necessarily be applicable to our disease, but we, we thought that the, the topics were something that we wanted to bring to this broader group. So we did the first three in the last episode, and we have about three more that we're going to cover today. So, so Taylor, the first one that we're going to cover today was actually posted by someone named Heather. and her item that she wanted to raise was that one misconception is that if I don't make it to a doctor's appointment, I'm not really sick. Sometimes the symptoms of my rare disease prevent me from making it to the doctor. Have you ever experienced anything along these lines, Taylor, with your disease? So this one has been a bit hard for me to kind of like dissect in a way, because when Heather makes the point of, if I don't make it to a doctor's appointment, I'm not really sick. Sounds like there is part of that where it's somebody's perception and I'm not sure necessarily like who in my life would kind of judge that. Um, I don't know, maybe if that's because like, if she's talking about doctors, friends, family, what she's gathering from that. Um, But I've been like open with doctors if I can't make it to a doctor's appointment, because like, typically I have to do a long drive. And if I'm nauseous or if I'm, my back hurts too much, I don't make it to the doctors and, and I'm just open with them about that. Um, what do you think about this one? This one's been a difficult one for me. I can see where she's coming from in that it's, it's hard to get yourself physically into that appointment space. Um, I know we've talked about in previous podcast episodes, the amount of thought that goes into going to an appointment, um, the amount of anxiety that you might have as you get there. So I can understand struggling to overcome that to get into the doctor's office. But I also feel like when I am sickest is when I want to be there the most. Um, And I feel like when I am sickest, that anxiety is actually a little bit less because I'm less worried about all of that background stuff and more just trying just to get myself there. Um, So I haven't necessarily experience this. Um, I sort of wonder if she thinks that the doctors are judging her, like the doctors are saying, oh, well, she didn't need to come in today. So she's probably doing okay. Um, If that's the case, Heather, I hope that you're able to have either virtual appointments. Now I know this was written in 2019. So there is a lot more that's available to patients if they physically can't get into the doctor's office. So really hoping that some of this misconception is almost not applicable anymore, given some of the modern advances to how we're having our appointments. And what makes me think of it too, is like the relationship with the doctor, because I could definitely see this point of view with some of like my adult care physicians, 
um, because we just don't have that kind of communication and that openness to kind of like share that. So if I don't make an appointment there, maybe they do think that. However, like with my current doctor, um, if I'm not making an appointment, it's probably because it's like things are worse than normal. You raise a really good point. And I know we have talked in other episodes about building a good relationship, especially with your rare disease doctors. I'm pretty sure if I didn't show up for an appointment, I'd get a phone call and a very long conversation about why I was not there. Um, I'm not sure if necessarily my primary doctor would have the same sort of outlook or some of the other adult doctors I see, but definitely the specialists have been treating me all along would probably be pretty concerned if I wasn't there 20 minutes early, like I typically am. So are we feeling ready to move on to number five? Yes. Okay. So number five is from uh, Mandy and it says treatments are not the equivalent to being cured. It is frankly just treatment. I am still fighting. I am still sick. I will need ongoing treatment forever to live as stable a life as possible. Ooh, I feel this one. Do you want to take it away to start? Yes. And I think that this is something that I didn't even understand until I had to understand it. Um, We Taylor and I both are on a pretty strong medication right now. And I think I was kind of under the misconception that when I switched to it, I wouldn't have my, my bad days, my flare days, whatever we want to call them. And so I think the first time that like, I realized, no, I'm still probably going to have these. It's still going to be ups and downs was really hard to overcome. And I felt this part with like friends and family as well, that when I haven't shared so much of my disease journey, I think there's a lot of people that don't quite understand, like my treatment is forever and that I can't be cured. And that's not something necessarily you want to like be super open about of like, Hey, like this is never going away. Like that's just not brought up in conversation. So I think when people know, um, I'm still like going to treatment. It surprises a lot of people. And I think too, when you're looking at some of the medical treatment that's available, at least for our disease, some of it is repurposed from um, different treatments for cancer patients. And what's different about our disease specifically is we don't have a set. We're going to take three, three, three treatments of this and be done. We're, we're on this medication pretty much for life. And so it's also hard if you're looking at some of the side effects to realize, well, no, it's not just six months of this and I'll be past it. It's, this is what the new reality is going to be like. And is that an okay side effect for my quality of life? Yeah. And from like a personal level of this, just kind of this one in general, I think even, um, you know, like we've talked about like stages of acceptance and where we are in our disease journey. And like, I think this encompasses so much of like, our moment when like we knew it wasn't going to go away and that like this has to be part of our life to like fight it long term and that like we're trying to live as stable of a life as possible but at the root of it like we've got to be on treatment I also think as a patient I know I'm definitely still going through my acceptance process and I think that that's something I'll be working with my whole life but I think it's easier for me to accept this than it is for friends and family around me um, because they've never experienced something where 
you don't just take antibiotics and you're better in a couple of weeks. Like it's not something that's normal in their medical journeys in their lives. And so I think it's harder for them to accept that it's just not going to go away. Even if you are taking the expensive medicine, even if you are going to the doctor a couple of times a month, it's, it's not necessarily going away. It's, it's better. It's easier to live with. Um, but it's still there. Yeah. And for a long time, I think I was like comparing my disease to others that are intense, but curable at the end of the day, like not necessarily has a cure, but you take these treatments and become better. And for a long time, I, I almost felt angry that like, why can't I have one of those? Like, why couldn't I have just had something been sick, gone through the treatments and then like moved on with my life. But there's part of that where, you know, it, it is just going to be long-term and that's like how, how it's going to be. And that to find acceptance in that. And that can be so challenging. You're not the only person who I've heard who said, I kind of wish it was something different. And it's weird because that's gone through my mind and I've definitely wished for things that actually were not really great diagnosis to begin with, but especially during those internal conversations, it was the question of, well, there's a lot of public knowledge about these diseases. There's a lot of medications and a lot of treatments. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of available resources for those patients where we don't necessarily have that as rare disease patients. A lot of our treatments are repurposed. Um, there's only limited resources of both financial and medical and educational resources that are really investigating our diseases. So it's hard to realize that you fit into this small bubble where there's only a couple options. Yeah. And to become more like specific with that too. And, you know, I want to be very cautious because I know that there's, there's rare cancers and there's cancers that certainly, I mean, have horrible outcomes. And I think when I was younger, I saw, you know, my mom go through cancer treatment and I thought that that was kind of going to be my outcome. Like she did chemo radiation and then she was in remission. Right. And then, you know, this horrible event is now out of her life. Like it was really intense at the beginning, really intense in the middle. And then she recovered. And when that wasn't happening to me, I was really confused when I was young. I was like, why? am I doing all these intense treatments, but not having the same outcome? And I think like, that's something that we can certainly teach little kids with our diseases and with rare disease, like parents can kind of like, I think it could be empowering. Like you have this thing and you're going to go through different stages of life and you're going to adapt to it. And you're going to, you know, you're going to become able to overcome it mentally and become stronger because of it. And I do truly believe our disease makes us stronger as people. It has made me more determined and more like willing to try new things. And, and we've had to be flexible and adaptable. And I think that we can teach kids that, that this isn't something that's just going to bring us down forever. This is something that we can live with but we have to manage. I agree with everything you just said, Taylor. I think other emotions I would add to that is I also feel considerably more compassionate towards other people going through different areas of their lives, just because you've seen how hard it is to even get through what we're going through 
to try to understand everyone else's journeys um, has added a lot more compassion into my personal life. Ready to move on to the next one, Taylor? Yeah, let's do, what are we on now? Six? Yes. So number six was um, raised by someone named Patricia. And her comment was, there is a misconception that having a rare disease gets easier the longer you have it. In reality, you get more fatigued and behind with your life. Okay. So I had a few thoughts with this because I see it two ways. If you were to approach this question with me two years ago, I think I would 100% agree. I think I would say, yes, like this is still, I'm more fatigued. I'm behind in life. Like I don't feel like this is contributing anything good to me, right? Like I feel like the longer I have this, the worse life's going to be. However, the mental health component I think is huge in this. And it's part of that acceptance journey. And I do agree that as our disease progresses, things get more difficult. However, I also feel like the longer I've had this disease and the longer I've worked on adapting to it, I now see that I cope better with it. And I think that's a huge thing that we learn like our disease and that we're able to kind of like be three steps ahead instead of three steps behind. I think something that has really, really helped me not fall into this, this pit of just diving into the disease is my involvement with our patient communities, is my involvement with patient advocacy. It's not something I ever imagined I would be involved in, not something I ever imagined to be passionate about. Um, But I think by bringing my focus into trying to help our community and help others, I've also really helped myself. I've helped myself from getting stuck in this trap of just being very depressed and very upset that I have this and other people don't. And I think that that has really made a huge difference for me. Yeah, it was interesting. Like when I first joined our support group page for our disease on Facebook, I remember telling my therapist, okay, like I did what we talked about. I, you know, got into the community. I'm like trying to put myself out there to kind of like get more support. But I said, like, I don't know how long I can last on this page. It is so depressing to me. I just read all the posts, you know, you're like deep dive in when you get into something new for the first time. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like this is our disease because I only had myself at the time to compare it to. And then I'm like, everything I've been feeling and like noticing is like valid and it's getting reassured by um, all these experiences of people around me and what they're going through. But I also think like, she was like, just stick with it, Taylor, just like stay in there and try and like immerse yourself and find your people. And that has been like crucial to me. Like accepting this is like finding those people that are on like the same, the same mindset of me as like trying to like get over it in terms of like trying to take control of our mental health with it. I agree. And for those of you out there who either have a rare disease or have a family member with rare disease, I'm sure you've all been in similar Facebook support groups where you, you go on the page and sometimes it just feels like 
you're going to cry with every single post that you read or there's some sort of terrible thing happening to someone and it's really hard to take in. I remember when I first joined the page for our group, I was in my, at my parents' house. It was around one of the holidays. It was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. I remember like going in at night and like turning off all the lights and scrolling. And I maybe spent two hours just reading these different pages and being so scared of what might be my future. What might be that, what does this mean for me that I hadn't even thought about? And so I had to put it down. I had, I, it probably was a good couple of months before I ever posted anything because I just couldn't handle that. And I remember when I was like, I need something more than this. I need something that's actually, that's providing more personal support. I remember reaching out to one of the communities that we're involved in. And the answer I sort of got was, well, yeah, we can do more, but we need help. We need patients like you to come in and help us and do stuff. And I just remember thinking, how can I help someone when I don't even know how to help myself? Like, how am I able to be a supporting voice for someone when I don't even know how I feel? And so it, I know I've had a lot of growth in the last couple of years, but I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that I've allowed myself to get beyond the scary stories, to really get to the heart of what do people need? What do people want? And what can help improve their quality of life and help them try to find ways to support that. Yeah. And that piece of quality of life, I think is so important with long-term conditions, like, like is brought up in this, in this question on the mighty as well is like, we know how ugly things can get. So like, I think I've shifted to focusing on that point you just made of quality of life instead of getting like dragged into like what my disease will probably be in the next years to come. It's like, how can I make things better for me? Instead of like dwelling in that, it's like, what can I do differently to improve my quality of life so that I know I'm living for me? And even taking that a step further, um, for our disease, we are in the older patient group, which is really funny to think about because I don't think Taylor and I are old by any means. But it's also what can we bring up and what can we discuss with researchers and clinicians to help them thinking about what life might be like for patients when they reach our age and how can we improve upon that now so that way the next generation of our disease has a better quality of life when they're in their 20s and 30s. Most definitely. Yeah. And I remember that even being something that I was like, why are there not adults? And it got me like really concerned of like, you know, death with disease. And that for a long time was just like a real big issue for me of like, why are there not more of us? But as we're kind of like getting more into it, there are more of us. We're just hidden. And I think it's allowing us to come together and to form this community that is just really special. And Um, you know, I think the podcast too, we've met some really awesome adults online that have like reached out and sent some really nice messages. Shout out to Chris. I know that she's been listening and enjoying our podcast and her support has been, you know, just meant a lot to us from the beginning as we started this. And I guess Taylor, that's a great segue into, we really do want to hear from you. If there's topics you would like us to cover, please connect to us. We have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. We have our personal pages. We have a Gmail. They're all in all the contact information, um, but we really would love to hear from you. I think your stories and your comments, 
I don't think I know your stories and your comments really help us, especially if we're having our rough days. Um, Taylor and I have those time to time and we send each other screenshots when we see something come through or someone texts and says, Hey, I just listened to your latest podcast or I'm going along on a long trip and saw there's two more episodes to listen to. It, It really does mean a lot to us and really helps us get through those hard days. Yeah. So as always, thank you to all our listeners and thanks for listening to episode number two of our Mythbusters. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.